get started here, we're going to open in prayer. Lord, we just thank for this day. We ask that you guide and lead as we look at these scriptures today and that you will be exalted as we go forward. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen. We're going to be in Philippians again, uh, chapter 2, starting at verse 13. And we're going to be covering a section of scripture that is... Oh, kind of controversial for some people, hard for some people to understand, <laughs> and a message that some people don't like. Uh, and it is one that we struggle with and have to work on. So starting at verse 13. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and disputing, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain neither labored in vain so we want to look at this one and it starts out in verse 13 for it is of God which works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure and this is a work that we're going to look at because it really means that we can't do anything without God telling us to do it. We can't even desire to do good without God being the one who started and initiated it. And the reason I say this controversy is because a lot of people want to say, well, I did it. I came to God. I chose to obey him. I chose to do all these good things. And it tells us here that it's God that even put it in our heart to be able to make that decision. And this is controversial because there's a lot of people, well, you know, there's people that go to the far extreme here and say you can't get to say you can't get saved if God doesn't want you to get saved because he doesn't give you the desire and that goes way too far the other direction. There's those who say that God has no part in it and it's all us and that's too far. And we have to find some place in the center. But here it definitely says for God which works. He's the one that does the energy to make it. To do, to do both to will. This means that he gives us the resolve and the desire to do something. Okay. If you want to have something changed in your life, it's going to be God who gives you the strength to do it. And we've talked about it. When we get saved, God indwells us. The Holy Spirit fills us. And he changes who we are. Okay. It is not me who changes who I am. If it's me, it's just good works and they don't mean anything. And eventually, my flesh will come out and blow away everything that I thought I was doing good. Because the flesh does not like to be disciplined. That is why in sec, uh, uh, yeah, Galatians 2.20 it says, I am crucified. My flesh must be put to death in all areas or I am not going to live godly. Because the Holy Spirit will change me. And we say this a lot. If you've been walking with God long enough, you know how God is changing you to be more like him. And the picture we've used, and I love this picture, the idea of baptism is to submerge into something. And we talk about the Holy Spirit submerging our flesh into himself. And just like pickles are made, you put the vegetables in the vinegar, and, of course, we all know that the, pick, the vegetables work real hard to become pickles. <laughs> you know, and I say that very facetiously because we know that's not what happens. The vinegar gets into the pickles, the vegetables, 
and changes the vegetables from being vegetables into pickles. That is how it works with the Holy Spirit. He comes in, our flesh is dumped into him, and slowly our flesh is killed, and it becomes more like God. And this is where victory comes in. One day you look back over your life and go, wow, how did this change in my life? I don't even remember it changing. Because the Holy Spirit changed it. It is God that works in us to give us the will. And then, not only does he give us the the will and to do, okay, his good pleasure, his intent, his, his fullness. God gives us a desire to do it, and he gives us the strength to do it. And without both of those pieces in there, you'll never be living a victorious Christian life. He's got to give us the will, the desire to. And how many times have you been reading the word or you've been praying and all of a sudden you get this this desire that says, oh, I've got to stop doing whatever it is I'm doing. It didn't bother you before, but all of a sudden God says, change it. And you have a choice at that time. You You have a choice to either say, yes, God, crucify this area of my life. And you move forward in it. Or you fight with God for a while and he eventually wins, whether it takes weeks, weeks, years, or decades. He, he always wins. <laughs> uh, this is something we have to be understanding. We, we look at Abraham. Abraham was called out of the Ur of Chaldees. And he says, go to, the, go to where I'm showing you. And, and he leaves the Ur of Chaldees. He follows the Euphrates River to Haran and he stops. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't go where he's supposed to go. And he stays in Haran for decades before he becomes obedient to God and continues to where he's supposed to be. How many of you have ever had God work in something in your life that's taken months, years? <laughs> you know, God doesn't give up. When he's trying to teach us a lesson or something, he gets us stuck on that lesson and he stays on that lesson until we finally decide to give up. He doesn't move to the next lesson. That's, that's what the public schools do. They, you know, they have a whole class of people. If most of the class were to go on, they move whether they're ready to or not. God doesn't do that. He works on an individual plan on each individual person and says, when you're ready to pass the test I'm telling you to do, we'll go to the next step. For people who, if you listen in a place that you don't feel like God's talking to you, think back in your life. What was the last thing God told you to do? What was the last thing God asked you to get out of your life or told you to do? Go back and fix that area, and he'll start talking to you again about the next area you're supposed to go in. He does not stop and move you on when you don't listen. I've been there, and I've shared with you all. I had an event that took me six years to learn. I used to be very stubborn, very hard-headed. Probably still am a little bit, but but I'm not as stubborn and hard-headed as I used to be. Six years is a long time to learn a lesson. Not as long as Abraham, with decades, but God gives us this. And what does he give us the the desire and the will to do? His good pleasure. What does he want us to do? How many times do we read the word of God and not pay much attention to it? I'm finding it harder and harder. I try to read the schedule, my scheduled reading, and I can't get very far before I'm trying to find out, oh, this reminds me of something else, and I'm starting to do a study. I can't even just read it anymore. I get into a study and go bouncing around all the places because I see it. And that's good. That's a good thing to do. And I hope you're all finding this. As we read through the Bible every year, you should start being able to piece together 
all the different pieces and say, oh yes, this is what's told, this is what's said. And you know the amazing thing to me that as I'm going through the Bible, how much God repeats himself. He knows how hard-headed we are as, as people. And he keeps repeating himself. It's, it's kind of interesting. I find myself teaching the same things in different books over and over again. And it just shows me that God knows people. And I'm not the only hard-headed person out there. He knows he has to keep repeating himself in the scriptures. And he repeats it over and over again. Then he says, do all things without murmuring and disputing. Now, murmuring is kind of an interesting word. Have you ever been obedient to God and griped about it the whole time? <laughs> God, I know this is what you want me to do, but man, I don't want to do it. I don't care. I don't want to do it. You know, maybe you were a kid doing what your parents told you to do. <laughs> How could mom and dad spoil my fun by wanting me to do this? <laughs> I just don't want to do it. You might have done it, but you griped and complained about it the whole time. God is saying, don't do that. Don't be murmuring. Don't have a secret displeasure about what you're doing. Murmuring. We all do it. We all do it at times. God, why did you let me go through this process? Yeah. How many people want to always know why? God, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? How many times when we were kids did we want to know why our parents wanted us to do certain things? You know, uh, Mom and Dad, you're just trying to help stop me from having fun. All my friends are doing it. <laughs> None of you were like my parents. They said, if, you, if they all jumped off a cliff, would you jump off the cliff? You know, but, you know, but you know, the point is to murmur, to complain, to dispute, question. <laughs> you know, God keeps saying, God keeps saying, why, you know, we keep saying, God, why are you going to do whatever it is? And God is not inclined to tell us why usually. He's wanting obedience, wholehearted obedience. Now, sometimes when we're obedient, he will show us why later on. Not always. <laughs> but, you know, I talk to so many people, and I've spent a little bit of time myself, is, God, why? Why are you doing this? I'm learning pretty good to just let it go. God's got a plan. You know, God is always going to do what's good because he is good. Now, we sometimes think, God, this was painful and sore. And yes, sometimes it is painful and sore to have him do what he's wanting us to do. But he still has a plan. Have you ever gone through something that was hard and painful and a couple of years later realized how it wasn't as bad as you thought it was? <laughs> or you saw that it was preparing you for something even harder down the road? Very important for us to understand, God has a plan. And we've been talking about this Romans 8.28 says, For all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. Even the things that we think are very painful and we just have trouble getting through are designed for good. For good. They will be used somewhere further on in our life. They will be used to teach us. And the other good thing that we keep telling them, God is sovereign. He's in charge. <laughs> And people who are in charge don't always tell you why you've got to do something. They just tell you, this is what we're going to do. And God does that a lot. <laughs> just do it. And later on, we'll see why. Maybe when we get to heaven, he'll show us why, why we had to go through certain things that we had to go through. 
And I say, maybe, because <laughs> he's under no obligation even there to tell us. But when he rolls out our life and shows us what was going on behind the scenes, we'd probably be surprised. When we see all the spiritual stuff that's going on, the battle, the war we're in, <laughs> it might scare us if we saw everything that was going on in our, around us. Because we are in a spiritual battle. We are in a hard time. And we just don't see most of what's going on. And he's saying, do things without murmuring or disputing. You know, and again, you know, if you're a parent, how about your kids? If they were obedient, they did what you wanted, but they grumbled and griped about it all the time. Did you really feel good about them? <laughs> you, know, you were glad they were obedient, but you know, didn't it irritate you that they grumbled and murmured the whole time about doing it, even when they were obedient? And we do that to God frequently. God, I just don't understand. You know, you're just never, you're never, you're never here when I need you to be here. We want to be very careful about that. One of, one of my favorite lines at the prison, these guys, the guys will be taking a test and they go, can you give me the answer? I go, my answer, my question is always the same. It is not a test for what I know, it's a test for what you know. When God puts us in a test, sometimes he's not going to speak to us. Because it's not a test for what he knows, it's a test for are we going to trust him? Are we going to, to apply what he has taught us? And sometimes it's hard. When you're going through a test, it is hard because everything seems like it's going against you. But have you ever got to the other side of the test and what you thought was a great big giant, you get to the other side of the test and you look back and you say, it wasn't even, it was a midget. <laughs> you know, it, it, it wasn't even a, it, well, I thought it was a big mountain and it's not even an anthill. <laughs> It's very interesting when we're on the side of the test, how do we look at it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and if I have that strength and power, I'm going to sit, be able to get through things. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights. That you may be blameless. Do you realize when God comes into our life, he takes our sin, he puts it under the blood, and he puts the righteousness of Christ on us. From God's perspective, we're blameless. No fault. Now, that's hard for us to understand because we know what we see. <laughs> that we have lots of problems. We have lots of mistakes. The good news is when we get him to Christ, he says, you are perfect. We have to begin to understand that. When Satan comes around, he wants to remind us of all the bad things that we have done. He wants to hold us in these problem areas in our life, and he wants to keep us bound up in them we need to understand that God says we're perfect. We know we're not. God sees us that way, though. Then he says we're harmless. No mixture of guile and deceit. Oh, don't I wish that it was harmless all the time. No. One of the problems we have in, as Christians is that we're supposed to love one another, we're supposed to encourage one another, we're supposed to build up one another. We're all guilty at some point of saying the wrong thing to, the, to people and irritating them, getting, you know, getting them mad. You know, it's amazing how Satan will get in there and, and irritate one person and cause a problem. 
They say something they're not supposed to say. The other person gets angry back at them. And the next thing you know, you've got a ton of friction going on. And Satan's going, I got him this time. <laughs> we need to really learn to love one another, to build one another up, to edify, to see people the way God sees them. They were told, no, no man after the flesh. We're to know each other after the spirit. What is that? That you're perfect. <laughs> you know, and we know that we're not. We know that we're not perfect. We know that they're not perfect. But you know what? God says they are. God says that we're perfect. We need to be dealing with each other more in that aspect of it. If you see something that somebody's doing wrong, pray for them. Pray for them. Love them. Encourage them. And I've already shared with you, there are times to speak up to somebody when they're doing, doing the wrong things. But as I've said, if you're not praying for somebody, you have no business telling them anything that they're doing wrong. Period. If you don't love them enough to be praying for them, you don't love them enough to be trying to correct their life. Because it's going to come out wrong. It will. It's hard enough when you've been praying about them and you truly love them to have it come out right. But if you don't love them enough to pray for them, it's not going to come out right. And I've seen lots of problems happen when people try to correct somebody without praying for them, without truly loving them. Love is what's most important. And we need to learn love. Agape love, unconditional love, or as I prefer to say it, the whole idea of objective love. I love somebody because I choose to love them. That's what God's love is, chosen love. He chooses to love us, and that's how we're to love one another. Because if we choose to love somebody, the only way you're going to un not love them is to choose not to. <laughs> if it's based on emotions, those go come and go. You know, emotions lie to us. You're in, you feel like you're in love one moment. The next moment, you don't even care about the person. And then the next moment, you feel like you're in love again, and then you don't care about the person. That's subjective love. What, what have you done for me? God says, were to have his unconditional subject objective love. I love people because I choose to love them. And if I choose to love somebody, it really doesn't matter what they do. I may not be happy with them, but I'm going to love them because I've chosen to. God's love is that. He has chosen to love us. And because he doesn't change, he will never unchoose to love us. And you know, he chooses to love the whole world. The saved and the unsaved. The hardest thing for God is going to be when the people stand at the white throne judgment having rejected Jesus Christ and sending them to where they've asked to be going to, hell. Saying, you've rejected my son. I believe that God's going to have tears in his eyes as he gives these people what they wanted. Not that they really ever said, I want this, but by rejecting Christ, they said, I want this. And I can picture God, this is eternal punishment that he's sending them to. It's going to be hard. We need to have this type of love for one another, that we see people, that we are the children of God. Do you realize the power of that statement? The children of God, sons and daughters of God. We are adopted into his family when we have Jesus Christ. Not the way many religions try to use it. Well, you're going to be like God. No, we will never be like God. We're going to become more and more like him, but we will never be God. Most religions are trying to get to be God. Yeah, and that never happened. We can be like him because the Holy Spirit changes us. 
And even when we get to heaven, we're not going to be gods. We are going to be redeemed people back in a perfect state. And just, just as I say this, we will not be angels. <laughs> okay? Angels are a totally different class of beings. So never, never get this idea that when we go to heaven, we become angels. We will be above the angels in heaven. Right now, they're above us. But when we get to heaven and God gives us our glorified bodies, we will rule the angels because we will be above. And I just brought that up because we had the funeral memorial service and there were a few people going, well, he's up there as an angel. No, he's not. <laughs> he's, he's up there as a glorified, redeemed man above the angels. So we look at this, and it says, without rebuke. That is so wonderful, without rebuke. Cannot be condemned. Oh, don't I wish that we lived that kind of life all the time in in the flesh. Live a life that cannot be rebuked. Now, as we walk with God, we can get closer to a life that's without rebuke. We'll never be there completely. Oh, but how many times have we said or done things that we wish we couldn't, hadn't said? You know, hurt somebody, even inadver- so inadvertently. Maybe on purpose, but definitely usually inadvertent. Acted out in a way that hurt people. Again, if we're looking at how we can do this, it takes the Holy Spirit. The more the Holy Spirit changes us, the more we will be good followers of Christ the more we will be doing what we're supposed to be, the more we will be without rebuke. We will never be completely without rebuke. (laughs) It would be nice. (laughs) But have you been at a place where you've gone maybe even a couple days without messing up because you're following God so closely? I'm not saying you didn't sin. (laughs) Because we have all kinds of problems with our sin life. Most of them, if you've been walking with God long enough, the hardest one is all your mental sins that you do. You know, I should, I want to say this, I don't, but the thought hit my head, so as far as God's concerned, I've sinned. I did good not speaking it. You know, I get mad at somebody and I bite my tongue and don't say it. Maybe I'm really good and it didn't even show on my face. But I still had that moment of anger. One thing I'm learning the longer I walk with God my brain gives me all kinds of problems. <laughs> you know, I may not act on all the things as much, but my brain gives me lots of problems to have to, to work on. And this, people may or may not know what's going on. But he says, without rebuke, in the middle of a crooked and perverse nation, our world is getting dark. <laughs> you know, our world is getting dark. It used to be that, the wor- that at least in our country, God's morals and, and, and teachings were somewhat encouraged. <laughs> not so much today. We are lights to this world, and the world does not like the light. We are salt, and the world does not like salt. When the church is taken out in the rapture, Satan is going to have a pretty good rule on this place. He's not going to have a free hand, but he's also not going to have the church stopping a lot of what he's trying to do. So it'll be evil. Evil that we can't even imagine. It's already getting evil. Imagine if it wasn't for the church. How many times has the church stopped things from happening? When we get these calls, pray about this. Write your senators. Write your Congress. You know, pray about this. Help us get this changed. And we see some successes. 
Not as many as we'd like to see, but we see some successes. But this world is getting dark. We are to live a way that's different from the world. And that makes us the enemy of the world. It really does. We are the enemy of the world because we bring God's light into the situation. And we've talked many times about this. God is indwelling you. When you walk into the situation, you bring God into the middle of the situation. <laughs> Whether you even know it or not, he is living, if he is living in you, you bring him in to whatever's going on. Have you ever had somebody get mad at you just because you walked in and said, I don't want to hear that? <laughs> They're being condemned because God's presence is there. You didn't even say a word necessarily, but they know that the Holy Spirit is there and they feel uncomfortable. Happens all the time because of what happens with God coming into the presence. He comes in and people are affected. Have you ever been in a pl strange place and you want to find some Christians? You know, I used to do that a lot of times in meetings. God, I just I don't want to be in a meeting with all these people. I need some Christians. And the next thing I know, here's somebody coming in and go, I got to talk to that person. <laughs> Find out they're a Christian. Why? Because God's Spirit draws together. In the same way, we need to be able to be a light. Are you a light in this generation? Very important. Do your neighbors know that you're a Christian? How do they know that you're a Christian? Now, I've, got, I've got people in my neighborhood, I'm pretty sure they're not Christian. The police cars are at their house almost every other weekend. <laughs> I don't think they're Christians. <laughs> I don't know them very well, but I don't think they're Christian. If they are, they're living a lousy lifestyle. Do people see you going to church? Have you talked to them about God? Have, you know, Especially when I had my son Samuel at the house, he used to know everybody in the neighborhood. <laughs> For three or four blocks each direction, and most of you know Samuel. You know, so he would always talk to him about God. It was pretty amazing. It's like he, he talked to everybody. You know, but everybody knew. He knew who was Christians on the block, or at least who knew said they were a Christian. <laughs> and they all knew we were Christians. They would see us go to church. They'll see us, you know, uh, all that stuff. But are we a light? Do people look at you and say, there's something different about this person. Now, whether they like it or not, it's another story. <laughs> you know, have you ever had somebody go, why are you different? Why didn't this stuff bother you? you know, I love it. I love it now that I'm at the prison. Everybody always goes, why are you always happy? Why are you always smiling? I love that line. I don't know that I always smile or not, but they seem to think so. But, you know, it gives me a great opportunity to tell the prisoners or, or workers or whoever about God. Let me tell you about why <laughs> I'm, I'm happy and that everything is good. Get to tell them about God. Get to tell them about He is good. He is in control. Nothing happens that He doesn't already have planned. That He does everything that is for good. Pretty simple. Pretty simple to be able to share with people. A light in this world. And then Paul goes on and he goes in verse 16. Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul is saying, I'm looking forward to the day that I, as your pastor, and this is what Paul is saying, I, as your pastor, because he's talking to the church in Philippi, who, which he started, he says, I'm looking forward to the day when I, as your pastor, will stand before Jesus and know that I didn't labor in vain. 
One of the hardest things as a teacher, and I don't know if you've ever taught, but one of the hardest things as a teacher is to teach something and then watch people not follow through. You, know, you, you teach how to do something and then you watch them not do it. <laughs> and you go, did I mess up? Did I not teach a good enough lesson? You know, did I do something wrong? Paul's saying, I'm looking forward to the day when I stand before God and know that I didn't do it wrong. This is why we pray for our teachers. This is why we pray for pastors, because they have a hard job. You know, they have a hard job to be able to minister and not get disheartened because, you know, I know that for, you know, I told you it took me six years to learn something. I feel, feel sorry for the pastor who had to look at me all those six years seeing, seeing how, you know, I'm wasting my time trying to teach this guy. He's, he's not going anywhere. We don't, again, want to walk by sight. We do what we can. We teach what we can. We help people as best we can. We lead. And as I've said, each one of us should be discipling and teaching people around us. No matter where you are with your, your walk with Christ, you should be teaching somebody. You should have somebody teaching you, and you should be teaching somebody. Because even if you're a brand new Christian who barely knows the Bible, you still know more than somebody else who's even new, newer than you are. If you've been walking for God for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years or more, who are you discipling? Who are you teaching? Are you helping others at least learn what you know? If you happen to teach them everything that you know, it should never happen because you should still be learning as well. But if you manage to get them, then pass them on to somebody else and those knows more. But you know, as we're reading God's word and listening and learning, he will be changing who we are and giving us great knowledge. Because it is wonderful to see God making these changes. And Paul is saying, I'm looking forward to the day that I can stand before God and, and say, I did not run in vain. I was able to teach. And they took the, they took the learning. The greatest thing that you can ever have happen is to teach somebody and watch them excel above you. <laughs> to watch them excel above you and take it to the next step. And then, hopefully, the ones that they disciple will be so far above that, it's not even, not even a funny thing to look at because they're starting on the shoulders of somebody else. You know, and I've shared with this, it's amazing that my kids have left home and they're all going to new churches and they go, it's amazing when I sit in a Bible study and I learned all this stuff and I never learned, never knew that I knew some of this stuff. Because they have had it taught to them for years. And it's kind of funny listening to them. I go, well, I guess you learned more than you thought you did, didn't you? <laughs> but they're starting to learn on top of what was taught to, to them. They're learning things, and it's amazing. My kids are some of the ones that can ask me questions, especially one of them, that can ask me questions that I have to go and do some research to find answers for. And it's fun because they're asking and it shows that they're studying. It shows that there was not vain teaching for all those years. Look for that. If you get somebody that you're teaching and they start asking you questions that challenge you, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Go find their answers. Help them. It, it means that they have learned and they're going forward. Okay, we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that we are blameless in your sight. We ask that you help us to learn to do things without murmuring, to do things without complaining. Lord, teach us just to be obedient to your spirit and to follow you with great obedience, that you desire us to be obedient, that you desire for us to follow after you and to listen to you. 
And we just thank you for all you're doing. Lord, if there's anybody listening to this on the Internet that doesn't know you, we ask that you convince them that they're a sinner, that they need your, you to be saved, and that they will accept you and repent from their sins and follow you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.